Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello. panel. Joining us from the panel today, we've got Siobhan. Hey, everybody. DW. Timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. And David. There are two turns of phrase that Klingon never admits to, knowing defeat and farewell. And also joining us from our Discord group, several of the fans of the show, uh, we've got Brian. Howdy, howdy, ho. We've got Plan of Attack. Hi. We've got Gorgo. Hello, everyone. And we've got Steven. Good day. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we got off to a rough start with this one, but... <laughs> Where it's first. still in a rough start because you know what? I forgot. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Joining us is with David on David's screen, which is why I forgot about her, is uh, David's daughter, Sam. Hi. Sam Sam. <laughs> and uh, yeah, now that we're finally got something going on here, um, I just want to uh, say it's wonderful to have the fans join us. The fans and the, the, the crew don't get to interact that often. The cast is trying to avoid the spoilers, and the fans are nothing but spoilers most of the time. So, <laughs> we 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 like getting the getting uh, these together so that the fans and the the crew can talk. And uh, before we get into that, I want to introduce these fans. Uh, Brian, why don't you uh, tell us how you got into Wheel of Time and and kind of your your history with the Wheel of Time? Sure. So I started reading Wheel of Time and probably. I don't remember the year. It's been a while, but when it first started to come out and I remember picking up the book in the bookstore and I really dug the cover. It was a really cool cover art and that's what drew me. And I'm a fantasy nut anyway. So I was like, I'm looking for something new. So I picked it up and read it. And I think at that point, the great hunt had been out too. So I jumped right into that and mm. I was like, Oh great. It's a trilogy. I can just finish this off. And <laughs> yeah, famous last words. <laughs> I, I, I can say I had that exact same experience. Uh, the first two books were out, and I, and I heard the third was coming, and I was like, oh, cool, I'll get there right when the trilogy is done. And no, nope. Yeah, so <laughs> I I did um, started on the journey, and then I got so hooked in that I had to follow through. So I really enjoyed it a lot, um, and it was one of those secret kind of books that I didn't tell anyone else that I was reading because I kind of felt like that would be embarrassing. So I kept it to myself until I found this online community of uh, people who were just as excited about it as I was. And that kind of connected me and talking about crazy theories about who was what and whatever I can't say because the panel doesn't know. <laughs> 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 We appreciate but, uh, your silence. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's how I got, kind of got into it. And then when the show came out, I was super, super excited um, and just found my way onto the the um, the Facebook groups and discovered Ruark's Facebook group. And then the Discord came along and oh, the rest is history. So, yeah. Well, great to have you. Great to, great, glad to meet another fan. Thank you. Um, kind of our unofficial bartender, as it were. <laughs> Speaking of which, it looks like you have a libation there. What, what are you drinking? I am in drinking the a whiskey by Suntory. It's called A.O. It's a mix of five different whiskeys, I believe. Oh. Well, I notice you do have a proper scotch glass, so I'm, I, I applaud you there. 
Yes, the Glen Cairn. <laughs> uh, plan of attack. Why don't you give us uh, a little story about yourself? Okay, so I started reading Wheel of Time probably in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. Um, I was I discovered that I really liked series rather than just standalones. I wanted series, longer stories, more depth following these characters. So I was working my way through the big fantasy series that my little bookshop locally um, had. And um, yeah, Wheel of Time was one of those. And that's, you know, the one that absolutely grabbed me. Um, I floated around a lot of forums and websites while they were being published. As Brian said, you know, reading all the theories and I, I loved the depth that people would go to to collect all their evidence for their outlandish theory and lay it all out. <laughs> and it's brilliant. Um, yeah, so the, the conspiracy theories in the fandom are better than some real life conspiracy <laughs> theories, I think. And th there were some that were so out there, but they were really highly evidenced. They, you know, the people did their research and you could like, like I don't believe it, but like that's top notch detective work right there. Um, the ambulance seat took out the dragon, man. I, have I mean, proof. like any weird theory that you could have, it was there and... <laughs> I just love that so much. Um, most of my current fan interaction is on Twitter. That's how I found the podcast and everything else that I sort of watch and interact with um, is based on Twitter rather than Facebook or something like that. Wonderful. Well, we're glad to have you here. Glad to, to meet another member of the fandom. <laughs> uh, Stephen, why don't you introduce yourself next? Hi, so um, I found Wheel of Time from the Watch Party Lord of the Rings podcast, um, listening to that, and then they announced your podcast starting up. And, I mean, I'd heard about Wheel of Time for years and years, but I'd never never started it because, let's be honest, it's a daunting series to read. Um, and my wife had read some of it, so, you know, she was excited for the series when I told her about it. And so we watched the show, loved it. And then she started reading the books at some point during that and kept encouraging me to read the books, and I was planning on doing the whole watch with the panel thing and just watch the show first for lack of spoilers. And then eventually it got too much and I decided to read. Um, I have now just started the prologue of book 14. So I'm so close to the end. Wow. <laughs> it's taken me, I've been reading it since the show till now. Um, it's taken me a while. And if there's anybody else out there who's started reading the books since watching the show, uh, join in our discord server. Cause Steven has been giving us updates on, on, uh, crackpot theories and non-crackpot theories that that he's had and and some of them have paid out really really well <laughs> and some of them i've been really wrong on <laughs> you, you don't even want to know some of the theories i was wrong about <laughs> but, but yeah the, the, we'll talk about that after the show <laughs> sounds good <laughs> I think that should be a show in itself yeah yeah i think there's a few um, shows there uh sam why don't Hi. you go ahead and introduce yourself? Let us know about yourself and, and, and what you're finding in the Wheel of Time. So um, I got introduced to the Wheel of Time by my dad, and I'm cool enough that I knew about the podcast before it started. So, 
Um, yeah, I really enjoyed Wheel of Time, but I didn't watch it until my dad watched it all the way through, and then he watched it with me. Because ah. he's like, yeah, you'll like this. And I'm like, so why didn't you watch it with me the first time? <laughs> jerks. <laughs> yeah, dads can be jerks sometimes. Yeah, David, why didn't... <laughs> She didn't show an interest at first, so until there was a possibility of being on the podcast, and then I was no. like, okay, I have to watch every episode now and, and take notes. <laughs> you showed me the trailer, and I was like, oh, girl power, and you were like, that's true. Eh. <laughs> She's a budding 13-year-old feminist, if you can't tell. Yeah, hey, we love them around here. Mm -hmm. Need more of those. And definitely girl power in Wheel of Time. That is That is... Absolutely for sure. Uh, Gorgo, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? Yeah, well, I started reading The Wheel of Time in 1998, and I know that because the Hungarian translation first came out in 1998. I just checked the ah. book. Uh, so I read some fantasy before, like Dragonlance and other things, and I was browsing through the bookshop, and I have no idea why I picked, it, picked up this uh, book. Brian mentioned that he found the cover very good. Now, look at this one. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I have seen the Hungarian cover art. <laughs> uh, anyone listening, check out the first edition Hungarian cover for the Eye of the World. It's terrible. So I yeah. have no idea why I picked it up. Uh, and you didn't judge a book by its cover. No. <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen the cover art from a lot of different publishers in a lot of different countries, and I have to say most of it is so... Not right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually, there had a second edition cover, which is much better. Actually, oh. very good. But, but these first editions were terrible. So I started reading in Hungarian. Then I read like through book six. Then I ran out of translations. So I started reading in English. And then I ran out of books <laughs> in English. <laughs> uh, the first book I had to wait for was, I believe, book nine. Ah. Yeah. And then I went up to, like, as Plan mentioned, to search for theories and, and look at stuff <laughs> and wait for other books. And then uh, I didn't participate in the fandom back then. But then I finished the books and then I heard that the show was coming out. I heard about the Facebook group. I have no idea where, so I joined there. That's where I, I uh, know about this podcast. But uh, I started participating in the fandom more uh, right before. So right at the Blue Carpet premiere when there were some uh, content creators who were doing live uh, coverage of the premiere. So I watched that. And then the show started. And then I realized how fun it is to watch uh, reactions of new people. <laughs> It was fun. So I found like six, seven YouTube content creators and 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 watched those. And then uh, yours was the first podcast I actually started listening to. Oh, and, wow. and then I realized uh, how fun it is to... I would never be able to experience the whole story for the first time ever again. Yeah. But it is very very exciting to experience the story for the first time through others 
so I find a couple of podcasts of, of first-time uh, readers and and uh, listening through their back catalogs of several years of uh, uh, episodes. Well, it takes a lot of time, but but it's 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 a huge experience like this. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've already read the books how many times? Might as well listen to other people talk about reading the books a few times, right? I'm, I'm in I'm in my third read through, so I didn't read it that many times. So, so I'm currently in my third read through. BW, what's up? Uh, in listening to Gorgo's response, I literally have a new conspiracy theory to put out there, and it's not even entirely related to the books. I think the reason we don't know why they, when season two is coming is because they're trying to make sure that the show watchers understand what it was like to wait for a book. <laughs> so they just have left us hanging with knowing, like, you aren't going to get out of this that easy. You also have to know what it's like to sit and wait and then come up with theories you and then find out not till you that's my theory. That's it, my new yeah, theory. You, the show is run by by fans, so that's you know <laughs> it's a personal. I, I, I now get how personal that choice was. So uh, I want to just open this up now. Now that we've met everybody and uh, just watch some interactions happen, I, I asked all of our fans to uh, prep a few questions that they can ask of our panelists, and uh, I'm just going to open it up. Uh, plan of attack. Why don't you take the first question? I've seen um, I've seen some notes on the Discord. I've seen people talking about that, like making notes when they're watching. You've watched several times an episode for this podcast. Um, I was wondering, has that process of having to watch a show to discuss it in this format changed how you watch other things as well? Or is it something you're completely able to put aside just for Wheel of Time? That's a fantastic question. So I have my comfort shows, the ones that I go back to when, you know, I don't have the mental headspace to take on something new. Um, Good Omens is one of those. So I'm going to be rewatching re Good Omens for like the 47th time <laughs> <laughs> when, we do our, when we do our game and podcast. Um, I don't know that I watch them the same way, though, because when I watch Wheel of Time, I sit down with a notebook and I'm looking for themes and I'm looking for character development. Whereas if I'm watching something that I rewatch for my own pleasure, I'm just kind of sitting there passively absorbing it. Hmm. Well, I know Siobhan's talked about this before, and I kind of do the same thing. I, I don't take notes on the first time through. I just experience the show. So I think I, I feel like that's how I watch other shows also is I'll just experience it. And then I make sure to have a second time through. And that's when I'll take my notes to go through the specifics that I pick out for the, the podcast. I know for me, I have a working in the industry. It does give you a weird look of watching a show. There are a lot of times my wife and I will joke about the best background actor ever. And there's some guy that is trying to get discovered. He's in the background, but my eye goes to him because I've been one of those people in the background on a TV show. So I watch a show often like, why did they shoot it this way? I don't understand. Like I watch it from the technical aspect sometimes and it can distract me from the show. As a matter of fact, I rate a lot of shows where if I can get too distracted by the technical aspects, I don't like your show. I want to be distracted by your show from those technical aspects. 
And this one, having discussed some of the theories and stuff like that and trying to come up with my own and understand things that I want to talk about and look and see what I can figure out uh, from this kind of puzzle we're putting together has caused me to be more involved with the story than sometimes I get to be. And so I've really appreciated the fact that I've been able to delve so much into this as a as a story uh, listener rather than as somebody who's watching it for why did you choose that camera angle? And something that you've always been interested in is story, just mm-hmm. storytelling and, and the various ways that it, it takes form. And, and, you know, as long as I've known you, that's been a deep interest of yours. So. Well, and, and one of the things that I'm really looking forward to when we get to a point that Rourke gives us the green light to read one of the books is the fact that uh, having been an, a fan of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I've enjoyed pretty much every iteration, and they've been so different. The most recent is actually my least favorite for some weird choices that they made. But the fact that it wasn't because it was a different story. The story changing is part of it changed mediums, so mm-hmm. the story changes. And sometimes it rearranges the order. There, in those, in those particular stories, sometimes things happen third in the books that happen first in the TV show that happen, you know, eighth in the movie. They, they change the orders of some things. Um, and so I'm curious with this to see the different story. I won't have a problem with it being different, but I do like hearing the story from different mediums because I get a completely different story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll answer that one as well. Um, I would say that I, I watch things on different levels depending on what it is. Um, like Siobhan said, there's some stuff I just kind of put on in the background and don't really pay attention to it. It's, it's just more or less, you know, makes me feel like there's somebody in the room while I'm doing something else kind of thing. Um, there's stuff that I enjoy where I just kind of turn my brain off, like, like superhero movies for the most part. You know, I don't, I don't try to get too thought too much into the thought process on that one, because that's going to make it worse. (laughs) But, uh, the, the stuff that I really, really enjoy, um, I do often, um, pick it apart on that level. Um, and, and, that I mean, that's just part of what I enjoy. That's part of what I enjoyed about Robert Jordan's books to begin with was seeing all of those like rehashes of of our old myths and legends and and gods from from our own world and how he you know recycled them and reused them and and put them in there and and identifying those and that was always the funnest part of the books for me. So you know, with watching the show and and other things it, that you know like. When I'm watching uh, um, another show I really, really enjoyed, uh, um, Raised by Wolves, it was on Apple TV. It, it got horrible ratings, but I loved that show because I realized, oh, this is a retelling of, of Genesis and the Bible stories. It took a while to, to realize that, but once I did, oh man, everything in that show was amazing, and, and I loved looking for that depth. So yeah, I, I would say I, I do Kind of, I, I would say it's it's moved up to another level with with Wheel of Time, but it always does. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh brother, where art thou? I was really really ashamed. I didn't realize it was the Odyssey until I noticed why he was wearing a patch. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, what? That's such an odd choice. Again, me with the like, why did the writer do that? I can't. He's the cyclo. Oh my, oh my gosh, God. I'm an idiot. <laughs> it all in. All- I was so ashamed of myself for not getting it to that point. <laughs> well, Sam, you took notes when you watched it through. Is it different for you than other ones? 
Um, I feel like other shows, I have to be doing something while I'm watching, but I actually like paid attention to Wheel of Time, so that has to say something. Yeah. Hey, if you can get a kid these days to actually pay attention and, and not look at their phone while they're watching, I mean, I have a hard time not looking at my phone no, while no I'm watching. So. <laughs> Um, Brian, do you have a question? I do. <clears throat> this is more of a general question for the panelists. Um, I feel like we've gotten to know you over the past few podcasts and uh, episodes, and uh, I have to admit I haven't listened to a lot of the Redux uh, episodes yet because life, but... Um, it happens. It happens. But one question I have for you guys is, you know, what would be one thing that we would find surprising about you? I don't know that this should be my answer, but my go-to is that I've been bitten by a penguin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's entirely within the heart of what you're looking for. But <laughs> most people are surprised to find out that is true. I, I, I didn't even know that one, so... Hey. Is it worse or better for me to leave that hanging without a story? <laughs> oh, just leave it hanging. Leave it hanging. <laughs> okay, okay. Sam got a big giant grin on her face. Maybe I'll uh, get a little scared and let her uh, figure out how to embarrass me really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, my whole family is really big musical nerds, but especially my dad. I don't know if you guys knew that, but my dad is the biggest musical nerd other than me. I wouldn't go that <laughs> far, but definitely some musicals for sure. Oh, oh, musicals as in like yeah, like actual, musical like, theater, show tunes, like, like, musicals, yeah, yeah, like like that thing I hate. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some musicals that I can pretty much sing the entire score to, like uh, Music Man and Les Mis. Not Hamilton. Oh. Not quite Hamilton yet. I can. Just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Siobhan, do you have an answer? I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. I um, used to work in a uh, research lab, and I used to work on HIV. Um, and I would get bundled up in the big hazmat suit with, you know, like a, a air pump that providing my providing filtered air. Um, that was many, many years ago. And I've now I work at a bank, so it's been a bit of a career shift. I I don't think I knew that about you. So yeah. I used to grow AIDS in big tanks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, that is a unique... For uh, money. <laughs> uh, I, I go, it's a weird-looking resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think what the, what that business card looks like. <laughs> uh, Gorgo, how about you? Well, uh, I have a show theorizing question. Ooh, that's it. So... Uh, uh, 3,000 years ago, they spoke the old tongue, and uh, Ishi and the other Forsaken were supposed to be locked away since. How did Ishi learn the new tongue? What do you think? I think because Ishmael spends so much time in other people's dreams that uh, he's been learning it just as, as the language evolved. He's been learning the language from the people whose dreams he's been invading. So basically, dark friends. Yeah, that was going to be my answer. Also, like you know, if you spend spend time hanging out in people's dreams, you you think in your own language, so you'd have to learn it eventually. See, that was that would be mine. Is less that 
they've learned the language, but that they're speaking in the theme of the dream. And therefore, it auto translates within a mental connection. That would be my. So, so the dreams have universal translators just built in. Exactly, it's a beta fish. You stick it in your ear. Babblefish in your ear. So that brings up the question: that once the forsaken are out of containment, do they speak the old tongue still? Something you said there, Siobhan. I want to drill in on a little bit. You said. Um, he learned it from invading the dreams of his followers and whatnot. Do you think that he's been invading people's dreams for the last like 3,000 years? Or do you think this is a more recent thing? Or I think he's been doing it for the whole 3,000 years. I think hmm. given that you have like dark friends in the tower, you have people like um, uh, Dana and Pod and Fane, this, this, is, this is not a new thing that um ishmael has been doing i think he's been directing things behind the scenes through his followers for a very long time as a follow-up so shivan mentioned that the other forsaken so we've start they start work work walking the world so what do the others think about that I kind of agree with Siobhan in the fact that this this has been... I mean, I, I made this statement in the last... For those who didn't listen to that podcast, um, I made the statement that I thought maybe the seal had cracked in some way, and Ruar corrected me in the fact that the, the substance does not crack. But I, I, I kind of had the vibe that something had recently happened that allowed Ishamayel to not fully get out, but to at least reach out to people's dreams. I thought it was more recent. But if it's been forever, that does make sense of where the current uh you know dark friends would be coming from is from their you know people being invaded and having dreams that don't even don't even know this is happening to them like to them they're just having dreams and it seems they're their own logical process it's only those that are aware of the whole situation that are going to be able to pick out who ishamael is i guess the the point that i don't know um is whether ishamael is the only one of the forsaken who's been communicating with dark friends or if all the, the forsaken have because if the others have not then it would make sense that they only speak the old tongue so and that, did they have and that a little be awkward <laughs> a, a little language lesson before they go forth into the world if she yeah, gives them a little translation guide of I'm kind of interested to hear what the other uh, purposes and powers of the other forsaken are because we only really got the view into Shamael because of the conversation that um, Lan and Stepan had, but there's a bunch of other ones, and I'm I'm sure that they have each their own specialty, uh, kind of like the gods in Game of Thrones do. You know, you have their own thing that you pray to them for. So, it'd be, I'd be interested to see what all of the different ones are and and how they affect the world. I would compare them honestly to like the uh, the seven deadly sins or something like that. Um, that that's how I I have always kind of seen their their assignments, as you put it. Nice. But they have um, names, so we know they're important. Yes. <laughs> there will the be one's really disappointed. All they can do is grow their nails about three extra inches. And that's, <laughs> that's their their only power. <laughs> Just kind of irritating, you know, but. They bring along chalkboards too, though, along with that. No. <laughs> Take away his chalkboard. He's powerless. 
uh, let's see, Stephen, you haven't asked a question yet. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I love doing when I'm reading the books is thinking about where, who the bad guys are, what they're up to, you know, what they're, what, what they're doing in the backgrounds, you know, who they're hiding us, that sort of thing. And, um, so my, my question is where you're aware of dark friends, are there any that we haven't, that haven't been unmasked yet that we've met, but you know, we don't know their dark friends and who do you think Ooh. they are? It would have to be somebody completely unexpected. I want to know which among the Tuatha'an. If there's one hiding among them. It's Axel. <laughs> <laughs> that would explain the chibi. Yeah. <laughs> Though I would say I, I am pretty confident that Ogier do not fall for it. I I would I will be hard. I will be shocked and surprised if there turns out to be an Ogier dark friend. Okay. Doesn't seem like it would fit with their mental process. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. And and they don't have access to channeling, so having a dark friend Ogier seem, would seem kind of pointless. Well, and I, the way that they don't, they live their lives so openly and honestly... I don't think one who even had decided to side with the dark side of this, you know, battle would be able to keep up a ruse for a long time. <laughs> so I, th I think they would out themselves even accidentally at some point. <laughs> so I just had a, a wild thought, which is uh -huh. what if Min is a dark friend? Ooh. That would be messed up. Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, some might see her powers as kind of a, a dark thing, you know, seeing seeing people's futures and deaths is kind sure, of... Sure, and, and yeah. very easy to manipulate, too, because it's not like you can check her on it. You yeah. just have to trust that what she's saying is what she's seeing. <laughs> so that's a hard question to answer, because I don't think it would be someone who is obvious... But I like everybody else, so I don't want them to be a dark friend. I That's am right. most, I am emotionally compromised. So, so by the who idea. do you think is obviously a dark friend? So, so not so much obvious. Just there's characters who are set up to be disliked. Like Valda is set up to be a bad guy. Leandrin is set up to be a dislikable character. It would be, it feels like it would almost be cheating to make them the dark friend because you've already set yeah. them up as. It'd, it'd as be too easy an, to make the, the person you yeah. already hate. The dark friend and that's not yeah. interesting in a storytelling manner yeah but if if like one of alana's warders becomes a dark friend i'm gonna cry like i don't know <laughs> you know <laughs> but in that same vein like that was one of the beauties of the more recent battlestar galactica was seeing people you liked that turned out to be cylons yeah and it complicated things because you oh, all show chief. i don't i don't know that we're going to go into that with with uh wheel of time but one of the difficulties that can come up in a story is somebody who's who turns out to have been dark all along, but maybe regrets it or is having second feelings because now they've gotten to know either the heroes or somebody from the, the good side of everything. So that's, that is a story that does get used a so, lot. So and I'm somebody who's that. kind of a rough, possibly likable rogue that you might meet in a tavern. That, that... Oh, no. <laughs> no, don't, no. Don't think no, I don't see what no. you're doing there, Mark. <laughs> don't, don't, think no. I, don't think I'm no. following. Nope. 
No, nope, I refuse. He, he's the one that they'll have fallen in love with, and then they'll they'll stop their dark sided ways to come and be with. It's Bella. It's Bella. Bella's the dark friend. I'm curious if Sam thinks anybody's specifically a dark friend. I don't know. I agree that it wouldn't be someone obvious because, like uh, Savon said, that's cheating. Leandrin is just too obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're already bad, so it would have to be someone that we like. It also can't be someone that has been like kind-hearted the whole time, because there's a certain amount of foreshadowing that has to happen in plot twists like that. Although what can seem kind-hearted can be self-serving in the right circumstances. You, you mean like uh, teaching some young farmers a lesson about <laughs> watching their, their wallets? <laughs> Something like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the R.W. is now <laughs> chewing on his thumbnails. <laughs> I mean, I just had to put the doubt in your mind. You know. <laughs> no doubt. But no doubt. All the way. I don't know. Maybe it's a character that doesn't have a name yet and will later. But we've met them. They've just been in the background. Ah. With the Tuathwan. <laughs> Thank you for pronouncing that correctly, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. I forgot that Brian is our, our uh, resident grammar white cloak. <laughs> <laughs> no response to that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was just agreement. He was busy just eating a bird. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, I, I will own up to that. Although um, it just it just was pleasing to the ears to hear that said. <laughs> I was I was in shock. No, no, I I I kid, I kid. But since I'm kidding you, why don't you uh, go ahead and ask our next question? So we all love the show uh, as readers and and you know panelists i guess um and we've spent a lot of time dissecting a lot of the minutiae and i love that part but i'd be curious i'll throw it to the panelists which part of the show don't you like because the internet is full of haters and a lot of people who dissect and i hate this i don't like this and a lot of them are book readers but as first-time viewers and not book readers, are there any aspects of the show that you actually don't like? I feel like a lot of the relationships kind of get put on the back burner in the show, which I can't imagine that's a thing in the book. So, like, um, Maureen and Lan's relationship was kind of a thing for, like, one episode, and then they kind of forgot about it. So I feel like some of the relationships are kind of just forgotten about. And um, they only keep up, like, the main relationships. I said Maureen and Lan, didn't I? I meant Nynaeve and Lan, by the way. (laughs) Well, Maureen and Lan have a relationship, too, just a different kind. Just not that kind of relationship. (laughs) Which they definitely glossed over, you know. And also, um, Maureen and the Amerlin seat. And I know that they don't really go back to the White Tower, but I still think that, like, that kind of a connection would be thought about more than just... While they're together. It's also a secret, though, don't forget. 
I would also say my response to that is uh, they're trying to cram 15 books worth of material into a few seasons of show, and there is a lot of stuff that's just not going to get the attention that it it needs or deserves or or gets in the books. So, not to mention first season character introduction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're still trying to catch up with who these people are, much less what their relationships are. Yeah. Well, and the other difficulty is you need to shape things in the episodic way. So there are things you have to mash into that one hour long episode. Yeah. And that like, oh, well, if we just had 15 more minutes, we could really, no, we don't have 15 more minutes. It's got to be an hour long episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, all right, we'll do this then. You know, so that things get dropped out and, and enhanced. There's, there are other things that'll probably get stretched because it's like, we have five more minutes. Well, we could have them walk a little longer. Sure. <laughs> shoot more shots of them walking, you know, so. But DW, as, as someone in the industry and, and who has an intimate knowledge of like how showcraft is done, are there aspects that you particularly are like, mm, don't like the way they did that or, you know, that jump out at you? So one of the things I was very, very pleased in doing, Ruark invited me on to this podcast. I had not watched it and, and I've heard Ruark talk about the, the book series at times. And it's something I knew other people that read it, and I never just had the opportunity. I am a reader of fantasy. It's just not one of the books I managed to get the time to read. Um, And so I was looking forward to it, but also a little hesitant because people can be really, really gung-ho about something, and then you watch it, and it doesn't hit you the same way. And I've honestly been really enjoying that I am really enjoying this show. Um, I, the, the makeup is, is fantastic. The sets are beautiful. Um, the questions that they leave, they're leaving a good amount of questions. I, I liked the story lost, but one of the problems lost had was it kept introducing new questions without solving some of the others. This yeah. is doing a good pace. So it's well written. It's well shot. It's, um, the music in it is amazing. There's very little that I've been able. And again, I I'm also being drawn into the story more, so I'm not watching it as much from the technical aspect. Uh, so I've really been enjoying that there hasn't been something that's really taken me out of the process. And, and my writing the notes and everything is really delving me more into the story. So I'm not watching as much of the background stuff. But I'm also not seeing ridiculous stuff going on in the backgrounds. Even even the actors that are not the main characters are doing a lot to support the the way they've delved into these cities such that there is background life going on to see that makes the the whole thing seem more real. I mean, they've done a good job from every technical aspect that I usually try to hold to a standard. Um, I know that I, I the thing I'm most curious about and the thing that I may have the biggest issue with is how they handle the change of character with Matt. I'm curious how they're going to do it. I'm If they're just going to gloss over it, that, that might be okay, depending on how they do it. If they try to do a, oh, he got hit by a disguise spell. I don't, like, I don't know what they're going to do, um, and I'm curious how they're going to handle it. Uh, and not acknowledging it all may be the best way to do it. Um, but I know that other shows that have had to do recasts and stuff like that have tried to do that. Just we, you know, Darren from Bewitched and one of those famous ones. It looks nothing like him. And then we just, there, yeah, I was going to say there was the character in uh, Game of Thrones that re- they replaced from one season to the next. And the new guy didn't even look anything like the old guy. Yep. And they yeah. don't, they just don't bother to, uh, yeah, to they never even said anything about it. Just, um, and, and, and that particular one, my issue was less that they changed person, that they changed persona. That the new actor who came into that role in Game of Thrones did not play him the same way. 
Yeah. It was so it wasn't just a change of face. It was a change of this person's role in the story. Like it was dr- dramatic and that was jarring for me. I did not like how Game of Thrones did that. And so I'm a little nervous about how they're going to put Matt in. Is he going to act it basically the same way, which is a tough call having come into some voice roles that I'm voice matching somebody else doing. Um it's sometimes hard to try and do it how they did it when that's not my necess- necessarily my acting style. But that's what the show knows, and the show wants that consistency. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. That's probably my biggest nervousness right now. But watching that first season and watching all the background stuff too, watching all the the animatics they gave us to kind of tell us things that were behind the scenes, we were also spoiled that if there was a moment where they didn't explain something well, I had Ruark. And so <laughs> I don't know that I didn't, there might have been things that I'm like, what the hell does that mean? And I don't have that problem because I had an expert on the topics telling me stuff. And I, it's all, honestly, it's become blurry, which I learned from the show and which I've learned from Ruark's <laughs> deep dives. <laughs> like, so it, it all just becomes wheel of time knowledge at this point. And I'm not sure, but I don't, I don't feel like there are any gaping holes. Um, every once in a while, I, I, I still stand by the Voltron theory, even though that's not the direction they seem to be going. Um, so you know I'm still on Voltron Theory too I've read the books and I'm still on Voltron Theory so it it was was the same for me really I I didn't see anything um, and really the only nitpicks that I have come from our discussions about it which is the loss of the actor so you have to kind of shoot around Matt those last three episodes and then also how COVID affected the the shooting at the back end of the series. I don't think they did a bad job of it, but you can also see the points where they might have done a little bit better with some some of the attack scenes in the end or the story kind of would have followed a different route but it didn't bother me the first watch through and it only really gets noticed when we start talking about it on the back end. So my answer to this question, I actually had to sit and think about this for a while. The one and only issue that I've, I have had with the show so far is the depiction of men and women as opposites, because that is not how I experience the world. And I believe that this is something that I brought up in one of the um, shows about uh, diversity and representation. I want at some point, and it can be a background character, that's fine. I want an out trans actress playing an Aes Sedai in the tower and it to be go by completely without comment she is a woman she is channeling woman's power and she just exists this may be going a little too deep into that but so that's still kind of binary and so i'm curious if in if you were able to be the person who was writing it would you write it that there are there is like a gray area between the two uh, halves of magic that people who are on the spectrum of gender might be able to, or would you write it that there's a third aspect of magic that people who are neither male nor nor female can access? So would you, would you go tertiary or would you go spectrum if you were to write it? So if I was writing the original story, the division between male and female magic would be something that was socially imposed. Women can only channel women's magic because that is what their culture believes and that is how they are taught. To, you know, go back to the way Robert Jordan um, 
I'm assuming wrote the books at a you know much different time. Um, for me, putting a trans actress in the White Tower would kind of address the issue without overwriting his vision. Does that make sense? Um, I, I have some responses to, to everything you just said, Siobhan. Um, as far as, as um, trans channelers showing up, I don't see that happening in the White Tower, but I do see it happening in another culture that we have not met yet. Um, I, I, I feel like tower politics would be very much on biological lines and, and they wouldn't understand that personally. Um, but, um, I have thought about this, this very subject a lot. And I mean, a lot, a lot. Um, I will tell you, um, I'll, I'll lay out very simply, um, part of my theory on that is, Yes, there is a gray area in the middle and there's men on one end and women on the other. And that gray area in the middle where it's, you know, you're a little more fluid in your gender. I see that show up as things like uh, men's visions or parents' wolfiness or, you know, things that are, are, are not part of you physically but are clearly supernatural in a magical kind of way, but aren't that direct access to magic. And, and that, that's kind of what I see in my head. Like I said, this is, this is all my own thoughts on the subject, but that's kind of where I've, I've come with my, my thoughts on it. There, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of the, the basic. Fair enough. Expanding on that. Cause you touched on yeah. a subject that I have thought a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I've wondered if the, if instead of the power being male, female, binary to the channels, you, you could still have a binary power side in and side R, but if the half of the power that you connected to is completely random, it wasn't determined by, it was determined by a soul aspect rather than a body aspect or a cultural aspect, you could have then male channelers of side R or non-binary channelers of side in or it, it wouldn't matter and then you'd have a very you'd have a slightly different story in some assets because the the Isodai in the tower you'd have all sorts of people and you have a channeler wandering around and you can't tell just by looking at them if they're going to be channeling the tainted part or the safe part and um that would remove a bit of the the certainty that people have that the minute they see a man channeling, they know that that's from the tainted source. Yeah. Do you trust him to ignite that that's side in and the, the trust that the Aes Sedai have? Uh, that they're mm. the safe ones. It's like, well, they <laughs> might not be a safe one. That offers an interesting side point on it of if you ever do have a male who can channel the female side of the magic then nobody's going to trust them because they're going to think that they're tapping into the tainted side and like some reveal that they're not tapping into the tainted side would be an interesting way to kind of look into that that fluidity of it. But I, I know that they're also doing the stories as, as written for the most part, and this seems like a lot of yeah. stuff that probably isn't from the books. So it's like, that's a spinoff series. Yes. Brian. Yeah, so <clears throat> I do think that there's really a lot of uh, meet there. My 
one issue with that is I would not want to see it fall into the old trope of, oh, well, there's a special person that can channel both, and then they become like the... The chosen one. You know, yeah. The, yeah. The, the special, uh, What what is the name of that series? Uh, oh, The Seeker, yes. Um, <clears throat> where it's like, oh, I can do two types of magic, so therefore I am awesome. So I, I kind of... You should make me king. Yeah, I, that... <laughs> That that is the one thing that I would be hesitant about because it, it would fall into that trope of, oh, you know, every once in two millennia that one person gets to do both and then they become the awesome. The avatar. Yeah. <laughs> they can join the tribes together because they're the only <laughs> ones with a foot in both sides. Yeah. Um, this I is think, the, I way. Think the The place I was coming from was more was more when uh Moraine was teaching Egwene how to channel. They had this conversation where she's like, all, you know, women in all cultures have people who have this ability. What do you call it? And Egwene said, we call it listening to the wind. So some of how you operate as a magic user is taught, is cultural. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I was kind of expanding on that idea. The idea that, that men and women's magic has to be so strictly divided could also be cult very much cultural. Okay, I, I feel like I can go a little deeper into my thoughts on this subject because you guys are obviously wanting to delve into this. Um, so I see channeling as being linked to the soul. Um, gender is not a, a physical thing. We Everybody here understands that. It, gender is a social construct. Gender is, you know, it, it's more of a, a, a self-image thing than a biological thing. And, and we all understand that my thought is, you know, um, that, that gender is tied to the soul. And therefore, if you have a sidar soul in a quote unquote sidine body, well, let's look at the numbers on that. Uh, trans people in the world are about 2% of the population, I think, or, or even less than that. Um, Robert Jordan has said that channelers are somewhere around like three to 4% of the population. So if you're looking at trans channelers, you're looking at 2% of, of 3%, you know, you're looking at, 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 I think I did the numbers at one point and like out of 50,000 people, you get, you know, two or three cha trans channelers. It, it, I, I don't remember the math and somebody's going to call, tell me that I'm so way off, but my thought is if they don't know what they're looking for, because there's already plenty of channelers out there that don't get found. I mean, you know, we've got Nynaeve and, and Egwene right there. They, they, if Moraine had not passed through town, they may have not ever been found and taken to the White Tower. So if they're not even finding them, they won't find the ones that they think are biologically male. And if they see them channeling, they'll think it's either a they're a male channeling and try to to gentle them b they'll realize they can see the weaves and that's going to freak them out and they're going to steal them and then hide them in the basement of the tower um that or, sounds very you know, much how the white tower rolls yeah. yeah and and then the other way around if they have if they find a a uh um you know somebody who channels sidine in a sidar body as it were um they're going to see that person channeling, but not 
be able to see the weaves and wonder what's going on. And I don't know if they'll pick up on what it is until that person eventually goes mad. And then, you know, and I think that when that scene in the wild, if there is, isn't a nice to die around to say, Oh, I can't see that person's weaves. Everybody else is just like, Oh, they, they've, they're a wise woman. They're a, whatever they are in this area of the world. And until they go mad, you know? So that's kind of how I see trans people showing up in, in the channeling population in this world. And like I said, there is a culture that we're going to meet in the future that I believe would understand and, and see and actually seek out the, the trans members of their community. And I, I really hope that, that the production team picks up on that because it, the, the culture that they're based on is also that way. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that they will grab onto that. How many seasons are we and, talking? And, How many seasons are we talking? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm pretty, How long do I have to wait. <laughs> yeah. I am pretty certain that by season three. Okay. Hopefully we'll get some in season two, but by the end of season three, we, we should be hip deep in it. But your, your description of that, and this may not be how they are introduced, but part of it, once I want to see somebody that's the equivalent of Moraine who goes out and seeks out those people crossing paths at one point with Moraine. <laughs> 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 One's going to find the dragon, the other's going to find... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just ranted and, and everybody's... Yeah, yeah. There's no rant, that was beautiful. That was no, beautiful, it was, no. That was great. So, so Rourke, I'm going to call you out on the numbers there. If do you actually do <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. 50,000 people white yeah. cloak too yes i mean yes so uh if you do 50,000 people three <laughs> percent of that is 1500 and two percent of that is 30 if you're if you're going to say two percent of the population is transgender then that you'd have three 30 people out of 50,000 now that are transgender channelers but that's transgender, transgender people with the potential to channel. Yes. The number of people who will channel whether or not they... Because there's they, also how many of those are weak. Yeah. Well, well, it's not even has, has to do with weakness. There are two types of channelers. There are those that can learn to channel, and there are those who are going to channel whether they, they try to learn or not. And okay. the, 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 those who can learn to channel far outnumber the natural channelers. So again, if there's not somebody looking for them to teach them, then those who can learn but won't naturally spark on their own are never also never going to be found and never known about. So it's that last little bit that are just the natural sparkers. And, and I think that percentage of all channelers is another like 5% or something. It's, it's, you know, a small percentage of channelers. So that's where I got down to two. So <laughs> denied. <laughs> and, and, and i can say some of that information was not known to the panel as of yet but you you just got a little insight into into the world and, and how uh channelers show up so i just wanted to add that that yes this could be discussed in great details but it would be very spoilery with examples <laughs> and everything so I, 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 I was considering mentioning something that Ruark uh, said, but but I wanted to stay away. I don't want to spoil anything, and we could yeah. go very deep into spoiler. Uh, yeah, yeah. But 
I don't know if you could tell, but the entire time I was talking about that, I was like being very careful about how I was. <laughs> I was, was going to ask if you were done tiptoeing when you were done with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that was a stressful little monologue there. I'll tell you that. The inside of their cheek is hurting. Gorgo, go next. This should be some fun theorizing. So, uh, what sports do they engage in in Randland? Sport. Sport. Well, we definitely talked about the uh, annual. Um, Longstaff and uh, archery competition in Two Rivers, so we know that they do have some uh, hunting and combat style sports. I say in Three Rivers they do a lot of, of um, chasing sheep. So, like, if I don't know if if you know places like Australia, for example, that have like a lot of sheep, <laughs> have sports around that, but. Well, isn't that a, a Scottish sport? You see if you can throw a sheep over a tree or something. <laughs> Checking sheep. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of the ones I enjoy is uh, tie a rope and you have with a pitchfork throw a hay bale. Now, if you replace yeah. that with a sheep, that's very messy for the sheep. You know, one thing I've noticed about Scottish sports is they all involve just picking up something and then throwing yep. it. Yep. Caper Pretty toss. Much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can throw a tree. Oh, I can throw a rock. Oh, I can throw a keg. Oh, I can speak with the worst Scottish accent you ever heard. <laughs> I, I could see the Aiel having some sort of like lacrosse game, like the oh, American like Indians, <laughs> based on the, uh, the the head of their enemy being rolled around a, a pitch <laughs> with their spears. Aiel sports would be brutal. There's so much I want to say here, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> ah, we've hit on something. Okay, okay, uh, to expand on that question, what sports would White Cloaks play? Polo. <laughs> <laughs> and by polo, he does not mean the actual game. He means they just wear the shirts. <laughs> so they can pop the collar. I was going to say, yeah, White Cloaks kind of strike me as like polo or crew. Is it, or, what's yeah. the most pretentious sport you can get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Crew rowing, uh, duck weighing, duck weighing, duck weighing. That's it. That's how you <laughs> find the witch. Rugby, because they wear polos. Like, why do they play rugby for some reason? I, I know. I would like to play rugby against some uh, white cloaks. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah, you you would not be paying attention to where the actual ball was, though. Oh, there's a ball. <laughs> why did you tackle them? They didn't have it. They looked at me funny. <laughs> All the White Tower sports are just, you know, catty remarks. Chess. Social climbing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would lead into the idea of if, if gender roles are really reversed in this world, does that mean that uh, we have uh, male beauty competitions? Is there like a Mr. Andor competition? That idea makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes David very scared. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us here have an idea who would win at those competitions. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, they already feature Lan's ass in the show, so it wouldn't go too much further to have him run across the runway. Just stop there, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Is it weird hearing your dad talk about some other guy's ass? A little bit, yeah. <laughs>
Oh, um, anybody else have an answer to that question? I would actually put, especially like two rivers, there's got to be some sport about going down that river. I don't think it's just used for the ceremony. Oh, body surfing. Yeah. <laughs> white, white water rafting. Uh-huh. And there's like the most dangerous section of the river is for the ceremony. But there's the softer sections of the rivers that like, oh, yeah, we, we're, we're, it's like an honorary mention. A lot of sports sometimes kind of out of doing some ceremonial thing at a softer level so that everybody can compete. So, so what actually happens is during the sheep shear, once they've hit their quota of, of wool, that's when they, they have the uh, whitewater rafting competition. What they do is they take the leftover sheep and they bind them together to make rafts. <laughs> I was wondering where that was going. <laughs> <laughs> but see, before they're sheared, they're more waterproof. I mean, wool is great at repelling No, no, these are, these, these are still unsheared. I, I said once they hit their quota and they have their hay bales oh, full, you know, you, you, you use, the, use the bonus sheep. Okay, okay. Yeah, use your I bonus you sheep as... I together shorn sheep. No, no, it's, it's like a big competition every year. So, like, people always, like, once they hit their quota to, to get into the the, the uh, town trade commission, whatever, you know, they've got extra sheep. Everybody always tries to make sure they have, like, a dozen extra sheep so that they can make the best raft. Trust me, this is a, this is a thing. I, bu- I, I don't disbelieve you. I just don't understand why they then can't shear those sheep at the end of the competition. Well, they can share those sheep after they're done. After they're done with the rafting. Well, so I'm th- but all of the the all of the wool from all of the sheep goes to the winner. No, no, they're, they're, no, no. That's that's too much of a lottery. We're, the, the two rivers is way too so- socialist for something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said I'm imagining a cross between Frogger and Super Mario Brothers on this thing. <laughs> trying to trying to get across the river on the backs of sheep, just like boink 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 boink. Dun, boink, dun, boink. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I would like to propose that the Sean Chen are competitive surfers. <laughs> That's absurd. Well, when you waves. can create a wave like that, why not? <laughs> but we're why never going to get to see them because that little girl wiped them all out. I mean, yeah. That just brought up so many different images in my mind, and I can't <laughs> share any of them, with you, which is really frustrating. <laughs> Uh, Sam, you had something you were about to say? Oh, yeah. Um, my question is, are they going to make it into a festival? And who is the announcer at said festival? For the sheep shearing? Yes. The sheep shearing slash rafting Tom, when he comes to town. Because all I can imagine is one of those, like, whitewashed country festivals that they have like the biggest carrot competition oh. <laughs> and that's like all that's coming to my mind and then they have like the sheep herding competition so so you're saying the two rivers has a 4H club yeah two rivers okay. is a 4H club <laughs> yeah, the two rivers is the 4H club you're a member by being born there and since most of our uh, um bands are from out of the country i think they have no idea what we're talking about with no, the 4H probably club not. Uh, 4-H clubs are for uh, rural rural communities in America. It it's uh, teaches kids like rural farming stuff. Like they they at the state fairs they have competitions for like who raised the best cow or the biggest pumpkin or the whatever you know. It, it's 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 stuff that I don't understand and won't pretend to. But Junior you know the butter sculptures are pretty kids. amazing. Yeah. All I know is that spiders weigh in heavily. They they write messages above the livestock. 
Oh, right. In their yes. webs. That's, that's how these these what stories go. Yeah, exactly. You have to get a smart Some spider. It's pig. very important. Some pig. <laughs> yeah, they're still lost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stephen, why don't you uh, lose us with something from, from Australia? Besides goon bags. On the subject of goon bags, just reminded me, a, a party game that um, you play with them is you peg them to the clothesline, which spin. And then you got to stand under it and drink as it swings around. <laughs> Do you have to run with it? Do you try to? No, run no. With you get. It? You no, just you get just a bunch of people in a circle. Just goes over you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna yeah. say, I, somebody drinking and running in circles sounds like the worst idea. <laughs> yet something I would watch sure for too. hours. You know. And it's yet uniquely Australian. <laughs> it sounds like the worst idea for the person doing it, but it sounds like the best idea for everybody else at the party. That's why I said I would watch it for hours. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, so back on to uh, Wheel of Time, though. A question yeah. is, um, what do warders get up to, do you think, when they're ice to ice there at the tower rather than touring the country? Well, we know there's a lot of gossiping going on. <laughs> So they get these unshorn sheep and they tie them together. And they... <laughs> um, no, I, I have a feeling gambling is somewhat involved, even if it isn't in the same like for money. But there's got to be like good hearted card games and what have you's that happen. Uh, the, something that's got to be able to travel from that world um, that they can play that builds the camaraderie. Since they, even if they have different, you know, Aes Sedai that they're, they're working with, they still have many times on the field where they have to work in, in unison with the others. And I can imagine this, like, combat club sort of set up where they have this, uh, I know, uh, when I was doing competitive chess, I, we did, like, ladders where you were at the top of the ladder and you challenged the guy at the top of the ladder to try and get to the top of the ladder. But having some sort of setup like that... Um, where they they do a do a mock battle and challenge the guys in, in the yard and and then that would go back to DW's gambling uh, side is like everybody takes bets on these these uh, these side hustles that they're doing to kind of see who's the best in the yard. First rule of war combat club: you don't talk about war. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the portrayal of the camaraderie between the different warders, even though they were from different Aja. I thought that resonated really well. I mean, if they're all training in the tower together and they're, so they're getting to know each other and. Well, they all have the same goals, the same purpose, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Protect your Aes Sedai at all costs and, and be their confidant. And ultimately that's all that they, they have and that's what they care about. And all of them have that. It's not like they, have their own special skills or anything and, and running the the water supply um gossip uh information <laughs> chain <laughs> for their for their eyes to die personally i think that they have a gossip knitting circle and they get together <laughs> once a week on sundays and gossip about what's been going on i'm down with that theory <laughs> So in, in going into that idea, though, of the, uh, the their training being the same, I am curious if there are even moments where the training breaks out into 
you are part of you're going to be protecting somebody from the blue aja so this is the little bits that you need to know of of how they're going to be working and how you're going to interact with them because it does seem that even though they have the same combat training there's still a different way that the warder needs to work with each of the different ajas i i think that's I think it's more granular than that. Okay. I think it's the warders get their own combat. Or the warders get the, sim, the same combat training, but their individual Aes Sedai molds them to do the specific okay. things they need. Because, you know, there's no one warder fits all for brown sisters, for no, instance. But it you know? still feels like there should be one uh, Aes Sedai who's, who's helping a new Aes Sedai and their new warder in the way that's going to help them best work within that Aja. So you're saying the green warders need to take the multiple partners 101 class, but none of the rest of them do. (laughs) (laughs) But also discretion is going to be a much more uh, strong aspect of a blue Aja warder than some of the others. Well, I I would say things like that, it's going to come down again to the the Aes Sedai and their selection of the warder. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, so... There's an um, interview process. Yeah, Submit I mean, it, it's not just we'll it's not just you know, oh, you're next up, you you get this warder kind of thing. Okay. It's you know, you you find your warder, and sometimes you find your warder before they've even been trained. You say, oh, this is going to be my warder, and you send them through the warder school. You know, but are there is there a reject department within the warders that like no Aja has cho- this guy's gone through all the training, and everybody's like, yeah, no, no, I don't want you. He's just waiting for the right ice that I to come I along. I mean, there are there are say people who have to train the warders, and if they're attached to an ice that I, they can't really do their job of training the warders. So you know, so those guys yeah, there there's going to be some. So the one that nobody warders. wants to work with is now teaching everybody. Yeah, we, <laughs> we we give you you get the brown Aja warder <laughs> assignments. The library is the least dangerous place. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, so according to your theory, DW, that means that warders destined for the brown Aja would have to, like, pick up stacks of books and, like, do, do wind sprints with them or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they at least need to be able to file the Dewey Decimal System. Like, that, yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be important. <laughs> they have to rattle off the Dewey Decimal right off the top of their head. Exactly. They cannot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of makes sense, though. If you have... Um... I said I who never leave the tower because it's not needed for their job. They would, if they ever did have to leave the tower for any reason, you would still send somebody with them. They would still have guards, even if it's not a warder that's bonded to them. Or maybe there is a, a, a way to make a bridge of somebody who's teaching the fighting style and somebody who's working in the library, both being involved in knowledge. And that might make for a good pairing of, a warder and an Aes Sedai. Well, another thing I might say is, you know, not everybody who goes to warder school passes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and uh, they do still have the Tower Guard, which is still its own formidable force. It, it's just kind of like the Tower's standing army, as it were. So, you know, I would say most of the guys who go to warder school and, and don't quite pass are probably just going to end up in, in the Tower Guard. Fair enough. And, That's you know... Fair. It's like, oh, sorry, you didn't pass to be a Navy SEAL, but you could still, you know, be in the troops. Sam, what's up? So, um, my question is, is it like, is Warder School more like basic training where it's like, 
intense or is it more like a Buzz Lightyear situation? Like back at the academy, I learned. I think it's like a water pageant. <laughs> <laughs> There's that pageant that Sam's waiting for. They never. I'm. I'm gonna go right out and tell you. In in the books, they never really give us an uh, a view inside of warder training or what goes into making a warder. What they have to go through. What checks they have to. You know, if they have to pass a final test or whatever. Like, uh, for instance, I don't believe Lan has ever been to warder school. Well, it tracks with what you've been saying. That a lot of the stuff that's going on in the story about the warders you were saying that this wasn't really in the books and this it was a nice view into this story that isn't represented so yeah it seems like the show's already digging more land could have been in water school teaching oh yeah and i was going to say that we've talked about in the past that the show has delved into the stuff that's kind of between the lines in the books so that they can not have to like follow the books exactly so that may be an aspect of the white tower that we see more of as yeah. we go into this training sequence season of season two brian uh i don't think i'm going to spoil anything so oh boy i do you right. can cut it out but <laughs> um i would say i think it's fairly obvious that people would go to water training school just to get the training and not necessarily become a warder, right? Because yeah. it is one of the top combat training schools out there. So, um, so if the graduating class, only the top five got chosen, but there's still more than those five that took the class. Right. Yeah. They were too ugly or they didn't like, you know, pass the pageant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about yeah, the pageant. I Definitely about the pageant. I mean, you, you do have a point there. I mean, if you went through warder school and didn't get selected by an Aes Sedai or whatever, you could still go to, I don't know, Andor or whatever and walk up to the Queen's Guard and say, hey, I'm warder trained. And they'll be like, oh, okay, well, we'll put you in the, the officer corps then. You're, you know, you're like, our new general. Yeah, exactly. Go. <laughs> it's officer training school. Okay, everybody's gotten through two questions. Anybody want to start the third round of questions? Brian does. <laughs> <laughs> Called out. Involuntold. Wow. <laughs> out so you get to answer the question first now. <laughs> wow. So um I I actually my question is not particularly wheel of time related. This is more kind of a general question to the panel. Um what is one thing that you are passionate about? <gasps> That's me first. I get to answer first. <laughs> She's very passionate about answering questions. Obviously clairvoyant, too. <laughs> I am one of the most passionate people you will ever meet. Um, when I believe in something, I'm very passionate about believing in it. Um, I'm so much someone for equality. And um, I'm a supporter of everyone. And I also think very strongly that everyone has a right to their opinion, but not everyone should share that opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> David, you've raised a daughter beyond her years. <laughs> I know. It's very scary sometimes. <laughs> That's why I'm cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there 
They're dangerous when they know they're cute. I got a four-year-old who knows he's cute, and it's just more danger. Anybody else have an answer to the question? I don't know if I can top that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I'll go. I am very, very passionate about gaming. Um, I actually collect board games, card games. I've demoed card games for uh, at conventions and stuff like that. I, you know, tabletop games. I throw days of gaming where just if anybody shows up, I'll give you a card table and pick three other people at the party, start playing a game. Because I love both the mental gymnastics you get to go through in a lot of these games. I was not very physical growing up. I'm still not in great shape. Um, but anybody of any age can participate in these games. Uh, not any age. I mean, there, there, there are certain cognitive skills that are required on a lot of them. But even playing games with my four-year-old, I really enjoy watching his mind work and come up with strategies, even at like Candyland, which has absolutely no effect by any strategy. But don't tell a four-year-old that. There is clearly a strategy. If I turn the card over this way, it's going <laughs> to be course. a clearly different color than if I turn it over this oh, way. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I'm very, very passionate about games and how it brings people together, how it uh, can make a group of people who maybe don't even know each other suddenly comfortable with each other and uh, having fun. Uh, so recently, I've kind of discovered that my passion is uh, teaching and in instilling um, hope and and knowledge into the the youth of of tomorrow, so I do I do uh, scouting with Sam. She's almost an Eagle Scout because she's awesome, and uh, our son just started yeah, in in Cub Scouts, and that's where I spend a lot of my time and hobby. He's also the Cub Master since he failed to say that. <laughs> yep, the Cub Master. That sounds like a, a Marvel supervillain. I am the cub master. Or a cool sidekick. So I'm kind of rediscovering an old passion. When I was younger, I was really into hiking and camping and just general outdoorsy stuff. And I have not done it for a very long time. Um, And I just recently started going on uh, hiking trips again. Just go out and just stand under some trees. Just gives me a whole new perspective on life. And I'm starting to get into it again. I'm re remembering how much I loved it. I like tacos. <laughs> Very passionate about tacos. Very passionate about tacos. Um, um, no, uh, things I'm passionate about, um, social justice, um, things. Farting. And stuff. <laughs> also other stuff and things. Um, and no, no, um, um, what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about uh, storytelling. I'm passionate about comic books, especially DC comic books. If I if I may seed your brain with one, you are also very passionate about music. I was going to say audio technica in general. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, audio altogether. Um, I, I'm very passionate about audio. I think because I have um, an audio synesthesia sounds have a visual component for me and and i i have this whole other universe that i get to explore sometimes when when i just put on my headphones and close my eyes and and you know let that happen and and uh yeah that has created a deep passion for me and it's actually made uh doing things like audio editing and stuff easier because 
I can see what I'm doing, if that makes sense. That's really cool. Is that other world the same world you go to when you dance? Because watching you go to that world is amazing. Yeah, yeah. When, when I'm dancing, I'm absolutely in that world. Yeah, yeah. It, it shows. Oh, well. well that... In a good way. In a good way, my friend. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not razzing you. I'm, I'm being genuine and honest with you, my friend. No, no. Uh, the, the fact that you could identify that kind of i i didn't realize it was that obvious <laughs> but yeah i'm observant <laughs> yes you are and very humble <laughs> <laughs> i am the most humble person you'll ever meet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess i guess i didn't think about uh music and sound as a passion because like that is that is a part of me that that if you took away i would i would not be me so like that's beyond passion that's that's core part of me i guess but yeah i gotta say especially for you being passionate about being yourself is a big deal so that wouldn't fall into that category well this is awesome everybody's telling me what i'm passionate about because i can't figure it out on my own. <laughs> <laughs> well we're just we're, we're we're helping flush out things and stuff and stuff and things yeah <laughs> I definitely do live my life out loud, and and I guess because of that, it's easy for other people to answer questions for me, like, what am I passionate about? Because I'm not quiet about the things I'm passionate about. That's fair. <laughs> my question is, um, I was listening uh, in preparation for this episode, just like the very first episode that you did with your introductions and that sort of thing. Um, mm something that wasn't really on there was whether any of the panel had done any sort of podcast watch party type thing in the past and if they hadn't did uh taking part in this meet your expectations of what it would be like i have never done any kind of podcast or recording or anything i don't know what i was expecting but it has been an absolute blast um one of the coolest parts is like because Ruark is the only person on the panel that I knew, and Axel. Uh, um, yeah, I was gonna name. say I, I, I hope you knew. <laughs> <laughs> Axel's not here, which is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just like meeting all these people who are, uh, who I assumed would be cool because they were friends of Ruark's, but like have also become people that I consider to be friends of mine, which has been absolutely amazing. And, and honestly, watching those friendships form between all of you was really gratifying for me to see. It, it was awesome. You know some cool people. I'd like to think so. I, I know for me, I've never done anything like this, but uh, there's a, a local podcast that Rourke and I listened to that this was kind of sort of based off of the the general structure of so yeah. i kind of feel like i'd i'd lived vicariously through that podcast because they're going on 15 years on the air now plus some because they did it on the radio before that and i was listening yeah, back yeah. then also um so I, I had that kind of expectation and and that has been fulfilled um but also the the whole friendship and and family portion of it didn't, could not have expected that and and it's just been wonderful i have worked on some podcasts um i, I matter of fact i was involved in a podcast that was helping people learn how to do voice acting uh, I was interviewing people for that, and I help out with another friend of mine who is on the Watch Party of Ice and Fire podcast. Uh, Solar has been a longtime friend of mine, 
and has his own channel that he does a podcast on. I'm an occasional guest on that. And I've been interviewed for a few video games that I've been on um, by people who were fanatic about those games. Um, but I've never, I've never in my life watched a series with a group of people. I've watched a series and then been, yeah, oh, you saw that too? Let's talk about it. But I've never, other than my wife, I've never held off on watching something or tried to watch something before a conversation with someone about that series and looked forward to that conversation. So this has been an interesting journey of how to absorb a media for me um, in the way of being able to talk to people, again, like Siobhan was pointing out, that I didn't really know beforehand. And so, like, if I talk to, a, you know, some of my best friends, I'll talk to them about a show I watch. I kind of already know how their usual thought processes go, so I have a good idea. And there are times I've watched a show, and I'm like, oh, you aren't going to like this show, so I'm not going to bring it up to you because you're going to not be wanting to talk about it nicely, and I like this show, or something like that. But with this one, I didn't know what to expect from everybody. So we kind of went in with this, like, we don't know what to expect from the show. We didn't know what to expect from each other. And having it have gelled as well as it did, I genuinely am sad on days that I've had to miss the podcast. Um, I, I miss the people when they're not able to be there. I mean, there was a bit of, of debate over who got to be in this one. And I, too, I felt both adamant that I wanted to be since I missed the last fan one, but also guilty that there were other people that might want to be in it. And I might be taking the because we've we've become this nice gelled group. And having, again, worked on some podcasts where there have been panels of people who had two members who did not like each other. And it came across in the podcast. And I don't think that is, unless everybody hates me and they're just not telling me, which is possible. I'm not going to leave that option off the table. But I don't think we have any adversarial relationships between anybody on this. And that's a beautiful thing because we don't necessarily always agree. But we have been very respectful of each other's opinions and talk it out. And it's been lovely to learn and experience the show with those people. And then also to chat with some people online. And now I get to meet some of the people who've been online and I've not actually been able to share a screen with. It, it, it's almost like I attract a certain type of person to me. I've seen some of the horrible people attracted to you as well, and you weren't attracted to them. You draw in an interesting amount of people. <laughs> <laughs> There's only a certain type that you will deal with for a long period that's, of time also. It's not just that Ruark attracted us, but that we passed Ruark's muster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I just want to add that uh, I miss everyone whenever someone's missing from the panel. Aww. <laughs> That is sweet. You are deeply missed. <laughs> uh, Gorgo, since uh, you brought that up, why don't you go, uh, go ahead and ask your last question. So you mentioned that uh, you're waiting for uh, Ruark to allow you to read uh, some of the books. How would you feel if you weren't allowed to read any of the books until the show finishes in 10 or more years? I might have to do that anyway, because I don't know if I have the willpower to stop. <laughs> Cursing Rafe every time they do this uh, long wait between seasons, that's oh, for sure. I know. So I, I don't think that we expected a two-year gap between uh, seasons no, when it originally no. started, right? I don't think they expected no. COVID. Yeah. Yeah, and, and my personal theory as to why it's it's so 
it's been so long is uh, most of the effects houses were slammed after COVID. And the, I, I think it's just a case of they're still waiting for the effects houses to to catch up and, and even get to some of it. Who's got the and, expedite money? Well, yeah, it's exactly. also it's interesting that is the case in the fact that it was the studios holding it off from the uh, effects houses. Because a lot of the effects houses, a lot of those people can work from home. They have significant rigs and stuff and can do a lot of their work. Maybe not even all of it, but can do a lot of the work from home. So I know a lot of effects that got done during the pandemic when people were shut down. But because the studio wasn't putting any project through because they didn't know what they were going to be able to fund and stuff. So they held back a lot of stuff. And then once they decided it was safe, they flooded the gates. So it's an interesting, like, had they trickled it out and planned, you know, and it's hard to plan. It's hard to plan. I get that. But So what's the plan of reading? So you know how, like, whenever you do a freedom of information request and the government sends you all these papers that have, like, certain parts blacked out? When all of you book readers are bored one day, <laughs> book one so it includes no spoilers and we'll read book one. <laughs> Just no, tearing I... pages out. No. <laughs> no. Nope. That whole chapter. No. Nope. Nope. I tried to go through another series um, where like they were making movies of it and I was trying to read the move the book right after I read the movie. Because back when Jurassic Park came out, I had the weird experience of not having read the book when a lot of my friends had. Saw the movie, enjoyed the movie, and then read the book and really enjoyed the book. Whereas a lot of the people I knew who read the book didn't like the movie because it didn't stand up. So I started a big thing about I would see a uh, uh, media before I would then read it. I tried to do that as much as possible. But when doing that one, like the first movie came out, I then read the book. The second movie came out, I then read the book. By the time the third movie came out, I had read the third and fourth book, and then I just didn't stop. And it's hard for me, as Siobhan was kind of mentioning, I don't know that I would be able to say, I will stop here and wait for the next thing. And I don't have a huge amount of time for reading. And even though I have uh, dabbled in audiobooks as a career, I, I'm not great at listening to them. So I think I'm probably going to be one of those that I will wait until we've gotten everything we're going to get from here before I read it. Which the beautiful part is, if by some chance this does not get funded, and I am not suggesting this and not putting this out into the ether for anybody to make happen... But if for some chance it doesn't get funded all the way, it is a nice fact to know that the rest of the story will be out there. Yeah. I'll be able to find out where it was going to go, unlike other shows I've watched. Like I was a huge fan of the show called John Doe that got cut in its last oh. season and I had to hunt. <laughs> And I finally found out what the storyline was. Apparently, David felt similar. <laughs> but uh, I, I found uh, an interview online where they actually spoke about how the series was going to end. And so I got that knowledge. And that was so knowing that that will not be the case to have to do that kind of a hunt. I just will start the books once this show is either completed or completed for other reasons. But then if some of the panelists start reading and you do some episodes on that and some other panelists don't, and then you come back together for the show, then there's extra care needed to be done for those who are not, not readers. Um, well, with that, I'm going to make sure that any of the major plot points from each specific book have, have either been jettisoned or covered 
before I let them go on to that book, which is why I think by the end of season two, they'll be able to read through book three because I don't think that there's anything. Well, maybe not actually by the end of season two, I think they'll be able to get through book two. The way they're moving things around, I'm not sure when they'll be able to read book, book three. one for certain. Yeah, book one for certain. Yeah, I, I don't know where I'll be at. I'll probably read book one because I did read it in high school. I just don't remember any of it at all, the, the first book. but It was interesting to watch as Rurark said that sentence. The book readers, their eyes were going back and forth, thinking about <laughs> thinking okay, about well, that. Kind of <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds about like watching the math go on was kind of beautiful. Like, well, they might be doing that thing, but no, no, I don't think they're going to do that. They could end up doing that. Like, there was thing, whole conversations that went that on beyond each of your heads. Oh yeah, possibly with each other. I'm not sure. Again, <laughs> is that funny? You raised with DW once. about. Wanting to have the whole series done first, though. That's the way I experienced The Expanse, and it was awesome to read the books and also get the full ending of The Expanse that we didn't get with the, the TV show. Because I've only read through the books once, except for, you know, I haven't finished everything. Uh, it's very hard for me to work out what's in what book. It's all, it's all merged together into the story, oh, so I have no idea what's in there was what's no in waiting. one, what's in two, what's in three. Yeah. Well, then they included no the idea. stuff from the Silmarillion, and I really got confused. Um, <laughs> it gets it gets much worse after book five. So I have a clear map until book five. Who goes where? What happens after book five? Yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. With me, it's the same except book six. I I can yeah. get to the end of book six. After that, it's like yeah. I don't remember what happens in what book because it's all going so haywire. Yeah. Now that I'm following like three different first readers, one is in book eleven, the other is in book ten, and the third one is book nine or something like that. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's it gets very confusing. Okay, who's where? Do you have to listen to those in order? Like, start with the person in nine, then the, listen to the episode in ten, and then an episode in eleven? Like, just to kind of keep your brain in. No, they actually do, like, two chapters per podcast episode, oh, nice. so it takes a very long time. That's dedication. Yeah. yeah. They, are, they are into it, like, four years now. Oh, wow. Well, I guess before we wrap it up, do any of the panelists have questions for our guests? I just wanted to say thank you for being here because mm -hmm. it's thank been you. fun. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> These are always fun. Thank it's you for volunteering. For, for me too, yeah. And with that, I think we're gonna say thank you to all of our our fans for joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's so much fun when you're here. Mm -hmm. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody. We thought there was more coming. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you. I, I was waiting for, for maybe some no, no thank yous. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you for volunteering because we we put the call out for names and you all stepped up. And uh, we do want to say thank you also to Michael and Jen out of the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Hey, thanks, thank Michael, you, and Michael and Jen. Jen. Thank you, Michael and Jen. And if you want to uh, get in touch with us, you can find all of our information at whatwatchparty.com. Uh, that has links to all of our podcasts uh, in all of the various podcasting locations. It has links to our social media. It has links to, I don't know, fun pictures of puppies, maybe. I'll, I'll... <laughs> 
because I said it, and so uh, Saima's going to have to put those up now. So, so get some pictures of puppies up on the up on our website, Saima. Uh, be sure to uh, leave a, a review and a rank for us on Apple Podcasts. That really does help us out a lot. Well, with that, uh, we're going to ask our final question. Uh, Brian, you had the final question. Why don't you go ahead and ask it? If you could be a star athlete in the sport of Randland, what would it be? Well, I don't have an athletic bone in my body, but since this is a uh, wish list, I'm going to be a champion Three Rivers triathlete. I'm going for both the sheep shearing and the surf, body surfing, the sheep surfing, <laughs> and the <laughs> sheep bicycle races, whatever else is in there. <laughs> <laughs> I will be the announcer of the triathlon competition because that seems like the swaggiest way to go. <laughs> I, I actually do enjoy archery, so I would love to be the one to actually dethrone Tam in the, the archery tournament. Good luck, son. <laughs> I don't know if this counts as a sport, but I'm pretty sure there's Randland's Got Gleeman. Um, and I definitely would want to be one of the contestants in Randman Scott Gleeman. I'm sure that Tom is one of the, the, uh, judges. Yeah, the, one of the celebrity judges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And he's the uh, Simon yeah. Cowell. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gorgo, plan of attack. Do you, you guys have? Answers? I think martial arts would be useful both for sports and for survival. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. I'm also not athletic at all, but. You know, being part of Border Fight Club and um, wielding those swords. <laughs> I think that's where I want to be. I, I am three-time winning champion of, of the sheep rafting competition, so I, I mean, I, I already know what my answer is. We're going on a trollic hunt. <laughs> Can't go over it. <laughs> <laughs>